Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, what happens when you put a marketing and consumer behaviour professor on the mics with a CMO and the boss of a large media buying group to work out what might happen to media audiences and audience behaviour as we tumble out of COVID and stumble into an economic downturn? It most likely gets pretty bloody interesting, and we've done exactly that. So with us today is Jana Bowden, Professor of Marketing and Consumer Behaviour at Macquarie University, Claire Williams, a former marketer at Lion and the new CMO at the Premium Content Alliance, and Amy Buchanan, CEO at Group MANZ. Welcome to you all. This one should get really, really interesting. Jana, how about you set the scene for us from your perspective on what's happening with the public mood and consumer spending both now and what it could be uh, looking like in the next six to 12 months. I do note uh, that July retail sales figures came out with a record spend of $34.7 billion, which was up 1.3% on the previous year. That smashed more bleak consensus forecasts, uh, which predicted consumers were spooked and retreating. So Jana, what do we make of all this and what might happen? It seems all a bit messy. It's pretty contradictory, isn't it? Where we're operating in an inflationary environment. And for consumers, what that means right now is that there's a very clear and present danger. I mean, there's concern about how much essentials are costing them. They notice this every time they go out and do their shopping for their groceries, filling up fuel. Yet at the same time, as you said, we've got the ABS statistics saying, you know, retail's up 16.5%, cafes, restaurants are literally booming. It's a bit contradictory. I think the thing about the ABS statistics is that that is reflective of a year-on-year data set, which, uh, of course, if we all remember last year, we were in the middle of Delta lockdowns. So it doesn't really account for that. And the other thing is the ABS data doesn't capture that rise in you know, the prices of the goods that we're buying. So there's those two factors, I think, that are dampening, dampening the situation. But you know, I think what we've got to think about from the consumer perspective is that the consumer mindset right now is inflationary. And they're thinking about, you know, depending on the segment of the market, what can I cut out of the budget? You know, what can I postpone in terms of those big expenditures that are coming up? What's essential that I have to buy right now that I can't afford not to buy? And then what's a treat? So they're making judgments about what they're buying and how they're spending their money. And that's just going to increase across, as you said, the next six to 12 months as these inflationary pressures start to bite. Uh, Yana, there's one exception, though. We were talking earlier, uh, luxury, Yana, is uh, you think is still holding up. Um, elaborate on that one. I mean, I think one of the interesting things right now is, you know, everything seems to be holding up <laughs> for the time being. That may not yeah. last. I think if we look at some indicators, obviously there's a lag effect for Australia compared to other countries around the world. But if we look at the indicators, they're not looking good. There's a bit of gloomy, you know, gloom and doom on the forecast. Consumer sentiment is down at its lowest levels that it has been for the last, well, since the GFC, really. It's back down in recessionary period, you know, period statistics and numbers right now. Um, And that is an indicator. Confidence in, you know, house prices, confidence in the economy, frankly, is down and consumers are worried. So there's that mindset that, you know, there's a storm on the horizon. It started to hit a little bit, but more is coming our way. And when that does happen, we will see certain categories of consumption start to be impacted. And the first things to go, whilst the ABS data right now is looking great, 
like I said, cafes, restaurants, entertainment, clothing and apparel, literally everything is going really well. But when that inflationary crunch starts to hit the consumer, the first thing that's going to go is entertainment, travel, you know, uh, cafes and restaurants, like we said. And interestingly, down the list a bit, some of the data, it says that, you know, media subscriptions will also be hit, but that will be lower down that kind of food chain of priorities. Consumers right now are going through a reprioritization, and that is going to continue moving forward. Well, some good points in there, and we'll get to the media, the impact on media consumption um, shortly. I'll go to Amy to get her top line view. First, Amy, has your luxury spending reduced yet? And um, what are you seeing uh, across the board in your client portfolio in terms of how they're planning and preparing for what, whenever this sort of downturn happens? We're not there yet, but um, what's your sense on things? You know, obviously don't know me very well because my luxury spend never really increased. <laughs> no, I think what we've just heard from Yana is really the contradiction that's happening in the marketplace. And I think that's consistent with what we're seeing with our client base. It is very much a tale of two halves. It's a lot of it's what you're comparing to. And we talked about the data versus last year. The same thing's happening in our client base. Some clients had a cracking COVID period if you're in supermarket FMCG and struggling to keep up with that sort of volume that was last year. Other categories, I think, weren't active last year, travel, entertainment. So it's quite buoyant comparatively. I don't, I think what we're seeing is the impact hasn't hit. Overall, um, it's definitely a more cautious environment. I feel like we'll get to the end of the year without a huge impact on ad spend overall and the demand still seems to be there. I think as we go into 2023, it, it will get tougher, whether we go into a formal recession or it is just an economic downturn is the question I think we're all trying to grapple with. And I think we are looking to overseas for the signals, but we know that that doesn't always give us an accurate or timely view for what is going to happen here in exactly the same way. So cautious would be my sort of summary. What sort of questions and conversations are you having with your blue chip um, clients, Amy? What, what are they asking you? Yeah, look, it's fair. it reminds me a lot of the conversations that happened in 2020 when there was the debate around you know, do you continue to invest through a recession and the recession was a three-month dip in the market but a dip significantly, as you recall, and there was a lot of work done on the categories that should invest in brand through that. The question that's running through my head is that wasn't that long ago that we were having that debate. I mean, you don't expect to have something like that two, three years, 18 months after the time, and we're already there. And whether categories that invested through that period will have the permission or appetite to do again is the the thing that I'm sort of weighing up in my mind and which categories will benefit from that because I don't think it'll be one size fits all. Claire Williams, your perspective, you're a long-time marketer, you've seen lots of cycles. Uh, What do you make of this one and what's coming? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a another period of perhaps significant change for some. I think Australia is coming off a very strong base and those latest numbers show that in terms of has it hit yet? No, people are still spending. Might it come? Yes, it might, but how deep will it go? It's hard to gauge at the minute. But I think for consumers, they've had chance in the um, COVID period to establish what's important to them. Um, And so in that evaluation of spending, I think it's interesting to look at, well, what are the things that I'm going to continue spending behind? Because I've worked out over the past couple of years that that's actually really important to my life and my quality of life. But within that, I may make some brand choices. So 
as a marketer, I'm thinking if I'm in charge of brands and products and services, am I going to be reevaluated? Um, you know, what does that look like in terms of staying close to the consumer? So when I can understand a bit of that process they're going through, trying to get ahead of when that change might happen if spending does change. And also just how am I going to stay top of mind? So if there's a switching moment, how am I going to make sure that I'm still there? Because um, I've got to get to all my potential buyers, um, as well as the people who are already in my category and buying my brand. You spent a lot of time, Claire, too, in, in consumer research as well. Have you over that cycle, and I won't go into how long you've been doing that, uh, mainly because I don't know, but it's a long time. Do you think there's a difference in the mindset uh, on how consumers are approaching things, you know, COVID onwards versus five or six, seven years ago? Yeah, I think um, um, it's important to, you know, with the market moving so quickly, and you could say, you know, media has sped up as well in terms of the changes that are happening within it. So the proximity to the consumer needs a bit more attention. You know, let's not sit back on our laurels and think that our annual study of usage and attitude is going to cover it. I want to get in market and understand more closely what's going on for people so I can get some early indicators and not be swayed too much by the news and media, but get to the consumer for a conversation with consumer groups and build that understanding, not necessarily assume the headlines apply to all. Yeah, bloody journos, don't trust them. And it gets us to the whole <laughs> discussion really around changes in media consumption that's happened through COVID and what happens now into a downturn. And, and Jana, we'll start with you. What's your sense on what happens in terms of media consumption and the changes that may take place and have taken place, by the way? I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because we know that content consumption, generally speaking, through the pandemic is up and consumers' eyeballs are literally glued to their screens. I think it was like Double Verify came up with a statistic that it was about 6.59 hours per day on average. So we know content consumption is up. I think there's been some interesting trends when we look at the younger generations because um, it's almost like they've lived through a period of trust deficit. The question for them when they're looking at media channels and portals is which can I trust and which is authoritative information, where can I go to get the information that I need? So I think those younger generations, particularly Gen Z, for example, are interesting in terms of their content consumption and where they're going. We know that they're subscribing more than ever to news. I guess that might be to do with the COVID news cycle, you know, breaking news every single minute of the day, 24-7 a week. But it'll be interesting to see how that, I think, develops um, in terms of where they're putting their eyeballs and what they're looking for in their media. Claire, I think you've got some stats on, on those young people and what they're up to. There's some interesting things that sit around what's going on in news consumption. Just tell us a bit what you're seeing. Yeah, certainly. In that um, younger age group, sort of the 14 to 24s, there's definitely been a steady increase in their engagement in news through digital channels. And that's steadily increased over the past two years. Um, so COVID, yes, has, has helped that along for sure. And I think the latest numbers are 89% had engaged in digital news in the last quarter. And also, if you look at print, there's actually a really big blip in the print numbers over COVID, which has shown an increase. And although that's dropped off a little bit, the numbers are still about nine percentage points higher than they were pre-COVID. So COVID has brought them in to news, certainly across digital and in print, and then has held those numbers in more recent times as well. 
And when you talk about print there with the, the print rise, are you talking there about the same segment, 14 to 23-year-olds or whatever you said, that 14 yeah. to 24? So they're, they're not only just digital, they're going into that old dinosaur thing called printed newspapers. Well, some might consider it that, but, yeah, for sure, they're engaging in that, you know, I think in terms of it's a looking for that trusted news source that gives them the information they need because there's been a bit of a habit built um, in terms of this is important to me, I need to understand what's going on, I want to connect with the news around me in a way that actually has continued that habit over time. It's not just about seeing the Prime Minister's COVID numbers anymore. Yeah, and I was being slightly facetious with the dinosaur quip, but (laughs) the thing is that they're still holding up post-COVID, the younger segment and in consuming news to some of those trusted mastheads, as we as we say. Psychologically, yeah, yeah. I think their mindset has fundamentally changed, you know, through the COVID period and now because they're seeing news as something that they feel they need to be informed about, a duty to be informed. That's a change in the mindset of that younger generation. So, you know, that would be, I guess, one of the reasons driving that prop up of those numbers even. I, I don't know. Can we say post-COVID? I feel like we can't say post-COVID yet. So... <laughs> In yeah. the current continuing COVID period. Yes, the confusing COVID phase, I think, is probably what we, what we say. <laughs> Amy, what's your thoughts? Because, you know, this is your gig, right? This is what your business does, is trying to understand what happens with, with audiences and where they're going. Your take on what, um, what we've heard so far? Yeah, look, I think what we saw during COVID, we talked about the shift in younger audiences to seek out news, but we saw a massive shift overall from consumers and some behaviours I think that are here to stay. I mean, huge increase in streaming that sort of the the arrival of streaming services, to be honest, if you think about the volume that we were seeing, the change in in behaviour to fully flip to BVOD, news and digital. I I think as we go into an economic shift, the question is going to be what do people give up and what are they willing to pay for and how many services. And I think the debate that will be had around that is it timely when we think about the announcement of Disney and Netflix as an ad-funded model potentially as a way to arrest decline I think is incredibly interesting and couldn't be better timed. You almost you almost feel like it was perfectly orchestrated. And I think what we haven't seen uh, ever before really is the impact on channels like cinema in a recession where we have so many VVOD services available to people. So Will that be the thing that they give up whilst keeping maybe their Netflix service and and be able to have that for a long period of time? But there are going to be choices. Middle Australia, unlike I think the bubble that many of us live in, won't, won't be able to maintain the number of services that many people have. And I think that will be one of the things that people look to rationalise, whether that's a choice between I'm not going to the movies this month and I'm going to keep Netflix. Um, I still think that will be a choice. But I think we saw in COVID trusted news sources trusted entertainment sources. And and the other massive piece that I think we will continue to see, which we saw during COVID, was the use of entertainment for escapism. And I think that's been a known known thing throughout history in terms of economic recession or um, challenging climates that people are facing into that entertainment will trump for escapism. So did your money follow the audiences and on that, Amy, when you talk about some of those shifts, was there changes in your allocation? Yeah, there were. I think if you think back to, I mean, there was changes because of the restrictions and the reality. I mean, you only have to look at the data to see where where money got pulled from things like out of home. It then got put back into out of home, but much more at a local a local community level, like thinking about where to reach near retail. Radio 
increased because of the tactile nature of it and we were able to get things away. Digital was sort of a continuum there. I think we'll see things like search and affiliates increase as people look for price comparison and look to seek out the best deal and best value, and we saw that in COVID. So, yeah, spend's definitely moved. I mean, I think I've said this a few times to you, Paul. We, we replanned 5,500 media plans in that period. It was sort of scrap everything and you'd just get it right and then there'd be an outbreak in a restaurant or a supermarket and you'd redo it all again. And and I think that taught us, it taught us the ability to be agile and flexible that I think we're going to need like we've never needed before again. You know, like it's sort of, it set us up for that that agility that's required. I'm interested in the trust uh, bit, Amy, in terms of, you know, that younger segment. When you go to target those and, and advertisers think about how you're going to reach them, you don't sort of go to, you know, news mastheads online or print as your first stop to find those audiences, but they looks like they're coming back quite significantly. So you go to social or you go where, you know, something groovy that I would be on me. But the thing is that can you be convinced that you can target them and target them well, talk to them well? in those new areas like news where they're coming in? Is it something that you think about or do? Well, from a digital point of view, yeah, demographic and age targeting is totally possible and it's the, it's the beauty of the channel, right? So I think that is why the fact that the majority of that audience will be doing it through a digital channel, while some, I'm sure, are reading, reading the paper, the majority will be online, it'll be on mobile, and that is exactly what the targeting and data capability we have does so yeah i think that is the benefit of it and splicing and dicing the audiences is is the kind of beauty of that channel yana the trade-off in terms of subscriptions whether it be streaming uh video streaming or even um news subscriptions as we sort of the next six to 12 months younger segments but overall the, the general population where do you think the the hardest bites will land and i don't know if that's a mixed metaphor i think it is yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because we know that in Australia right now, 80% of households have streaming services. We know that the average number of streaming services per household is about 2.3. And we also know that people are starting to make cuts. I think when we talk about what's going to be cut, you know, in terms of the consumer budget, what they can afford versus what they can't afford, like we said before, really, there's not a one size fits all approach to this. And if you think about it, you know, middle income earners, for example, might be more cautious about what they're going to spend in terms of discretionary spend. Uh, Low-income earners, I mean, we're seeing the impact of inflation on them and they're cutting severely and quite aggressively. And some people are ending up on the poverty line. We're seeing a creation of a haves and haves not situation. It's difficult for many people out there right now. Gen Z, you know, have some of the most subscriptions out of all of the demographic age categories. And I guess from that perspective, you know, there's a likelihood that they're going to look to make some cuts across some of those services like many other people are as well. It comes down to what people are going to be able to afford. And like I said, one size doesn't fit all. If we look at the the effects of inflation and also recession, I mean, again, the effects are very similar. Some people are cautious but want to contain and remain with their current lifestyle. Other people can't afford to do so and will make the cuts. It depends on income. It depends on lifestyle. It depends on consumer attitudes towards what they're going to make an essential versus a luxury item. Mm. Claire, what's your hunch on subscriptions, for example, particularly around, say, news, but also that younger segment that's coming through, they're getting getting—they're coming through in the ad-funded non-subscription news mastheads, I'm assuming. But what's the mix there and what do you think will happen? Are they subscribing? Are they actually subscribing to news or are they taking the, the free options? 
Well, I think um, that, yeah, they're certainly picking up on what they can hook into for free. But I mean, I mean, news as a, as a platform in terms of the engagement through subscription talks to the fact that it is so strongly about leaning in, you know, I'm paying to be here and engage in this content. So from an advertising perspective, then, you know, this is fantastic from a attention to the um, platforms and look, being engaged in the content that I've chosen, it's relevant to me. So in terms of an environment to hang out in, you know, this is a great place to be. I think for that um, younger audience, you know, for sure, right, they're finding their way to get into the good entertainment any which way they can that saves them money, hop, you know, piggybacking on subscriptions or finding ways to engage. Um, and they'll probably continue that. So looking for ways where value is an option for people is going to be important going forward, not just for the younger demographic. And I think people will switch to say, well, if I can't afford to do those things, I can't afford to pay for those extra things, I'm going to be looking for the um, entertainment that is free, potentially all or, or lower cost. And I'm going to pick and choose around that to find the, the best content and the best entertainment. I've been at home a lot. You know, it, it needs to be good now. It needs to be fun because it's been a tough couple of years. Jana, to Amy's uh, point earlier about whether she didn't predict which way it was going to go, just sort of threw the scenario up there of it might happen, movies versus streaming. So when someone's thinking, well, I won't go to the movies and I'll hold a streaming service or I'll do, you know, what do you think is going to happen there um, with through your crystal ball? I don't have the crystal ball. However, <laughs> it is a value yeah. proposition judgment again, isn't it? You, I mean, you look at the cost of going to the cinema, all inclusive. You look at the cost of your streaming service. Streaming services are pretty attractive. Um, you look at what's happened to consumer behaviour during COVID. You know, we've been fairly bored at home a lot and we've gotten used to our new behavioural patterns at home, you know, watching these streaming services, having multiples of them, sharing passwords <laughs> and accessing other people's accounts. Yes. And, you know, we've gotten into this pattern of new behavioural kind of, you know, lifestyle yeah, lifestyle, a new lifestyle. And I think that's quite difficult for consumers to change. It's quite entrenched. At the same time, you know, what Amy was saying before is so true about this idea of escapism. Cinemas have always been a form of escapism and also, unfortunately, a bit of a luxury in terms of consumption. So I think, you know, as consumers think more and more about, you know, what money they've got and they watch their purchasing power start to dissolve as, you know, rates go up and inflation starts to hit a little more. These will be some of the hard questions they're starting to ask about where their money does go. On that entertainment thing, do we see, you know, it's a crazy option, but for instance, if budget's coming, are we going to see more picnics or what happens with alternatives? Well, that we aren't? did enough picnics during COVID. <laughs> oh, yeah, COVID. we did enough picnics. That, that's my question, oh, that's so can I did. ask a question, Paul? Am I allowed to do that? You can be the, How about you start as the moderator, Amy? It's all yours. <laughs> my question is how much will shift into what would historically happen because of COVID. Like your comment, Yana, before around, you know, travel will be the first thing to go. And it totally will be. For, we haven't seen that yet. But it totally <laughs> will be for people who can't afford to put food on the table. But it will be. for other people, the experience and the connection in that mid-range who are making those decisions, part of me is wondering, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but part of me is wondering whether because people have been starved for so many experiences, for so long, whether the choices they make will be different to the choices we would have seen had the re recession hit as we thought it was going to hit in 2019 before COVID. That's probably my question. 
Firstly, can I say it's a great question. You should think about a career in journalism, Amy, but sorry, sorry to Diana, your, your answer on that. Uh, look, you know, one thing we have seen is revenge spending in spades. <laughs> so we've seen consumers lashing out left, right and centre on travel and entertainment and new clothes for all those clothes they couldn't purchase during the lockdowns. And I think we're still continuing to see a bit of that come through, like I said, with the ABS data at present. I mean, it's it's showing extremely strong purchase behaviour. Uh, in fact, I think it will lead to the next 50 basis point rise <laughs> um, as we try to curb yes, inflation. My in, gosh, um, it's not under in. control yet spending at all. I think that will go on for a while. Like I said, you know, as consumers start to have to make harder trade-offs, you know, with the rates going up and the mortgage kind of crisis coming into fuller view and picture, it's going to be more difficult for consumers to psychologically justify expenditure on these discretionary categories as we go forward. And, you know, if we look um, to kind of leading indicators overseas, what are the first things to be hit? Well, I mean, restaurants, dining out, which is currently very strong here, entertainment, travel, big household purchases, new cars. And then down the list, as I said, you know, they start to reassess their media portfolios and what they're subscribing to gyms (laughs) and those kinds of categories. But, you know, I think the important point here is also that this is a very segmented experience. It isn't the one size fits all. And we've got some consumer categories who, you know, will be struggling and are vulnerable and will slam on those expenditure breaks faster than others. We've got others who, you know, uh, perhaps, as you said, in, in more of the bubble situation, who will hope to just keep spending as we have, you know, with le- little impact on what we're buying and why we're buying. So it's really segmented. I was just going to say, I think that, you know, that's bang on in terms of that segmented approach. So, you know, there may be trimming of things, you know, where you don't see one thing totally plummet or change. There's just trimming around the edges. And also there is still a period of normalizing after the lockdowns, you know, particularly when I think about cafes and restaurants, people are establishing that behavior again. And, and there's a boom attached to that, but it, it will normalize and right size again. Um, as part of it. So I think, you know, we have to take that into consideration that for different people, things will will react differently. But there's a, a case here to say that it, it will be trimming around the edges. That doesn't mean it pushes us into this world of there's lots of things suffering and it's disaster zone. And Australia's always in the last couple of cycles has behaved a bit weirdly compared to the rest of the world, right? If you think about the GFC, we didn't really feel it as much as anyone else. So there's kind of there's some stuff in the background there. But, Jana, I do have to ask you, I know a few marketing professors, but I don't know a marketing professor that has consumer behaviour uh, attached to the remit as well. So I've got to ask, what do you That's do a in a day and who do you talk to? <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's a natural remit. It's a natural part of the remit, right? But it's just there's a title there. But what do you do in a day and who do you talk to? Let's hear that. I talk to the future marketers of Australia. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, I mean, most of my work revolves around educating the future marketers, literally. You know, the students coming through, undergraduate and postgraduate, doing their degrees, looking for a career in media, in advertising, in marketing and branding and so on. So, you know, from that perspective, that's, you know, obviously a passion of mine, indoctrinating them early. Yes. (laughs) Send them our way, Yana. We've got lots of jobs. (laughs) We're ready for them. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, then, what are you seeing there? Is there hope for the talent that's coming through? What do you make of the calibre? I guess you'd have to say they're fantastic because they're your (laughs) students. Absolutely fantastic. High distinction only. Who wants to hire? Yes. (laughs) 
you know, like I think we've got like, you know, as I said, like I think we're really lucky we have students who are really passionate about what they're studying and who get excited at the thought of realizing that they're actually a consumer just like you and I, and they're getting into their own mindsets to like reverse engineer why they're doing what they're doing. So I think that's, um, you know, fantastic for the future of the industry in terms of these students that are coming through. They offer continued hope, inspiration and innovation and insight. <laughs> Great. Well, I'd love to drill down on that because it's interesting. We have talent challenges, um, as most of us uh, realise. So I was kind of like I could go there for another half an hour, but we won't. Let's wrap it up with some key watchouts from each of you for the next 12 months. We've probably covered them all, but maybe just a couple of bullet points there on that. Um, Claire, you first. I'm putting you on the spot, but um, bad luck. <laughs> That's all right. I'll run with it. I think the watch out for marketers is don't jump at shadows and don't be drawn in to a market where the story is being told around lots of fragmentation. Think about your audience, getting to your audience, getting to your buyers and potential buyers in a way that connects with them, that means your creativity flourishes and is memorable for them. Because if we're breaking it down into too many parts, chances are your brand won't connect as well. So think big, think about going after your audience and getting to as many people as possible. And don't jump at the shadows that may be discussed in in the media. Good. Yeah, bloody journos again. Good counsel overall. (laughs) Amy, your your thoughts? Yeah, mine would be... It sounds a bit pessimistic, but sort of prepare for the worst, plan for the best and have the conversation with your partners. There's nothing worse than hearing down the path, you know, oh, we've been talking about a budget cut for six weeks and the first conversation is we're cutting it. Like have that discussion with your agencies and partners because there's a lot of information data I think that we can help. Understand the signals. Um, listen to the data, it's nuance of the audience, it's not one size fits all. So think about who your proposition appeals to and what's happening with them, not the overall mass, because I think we've heard today it's not all the same. Um, and then probably the final piece, which we haven't really touched on but sort of ran through my mind throughout the discussion, is the channel's going to be critical and we'll have all the data points to tell you what people are giving up and where they're going. But the thing that will be more important than ever is the message and understanding how to get that right for the moment in time and the climate and the sentiment that exists. And I think it's what we saw happen so well in COVID is marketers and agencies respond quickly to ensure that the message was fit into the environment and the context that we're operating in, I would not underestimate this. And I'd start to almost think about the messages you have in market and are they going to appeal when interest rates go up one, two, three times um, and how do we need to play with that? Because that won't be a quick turnaround and it'll probably be the thing you need before you need anything else. Wow, a media agency spotlighting creative. That's really impressive, Amy. You heard it here, Paul. I know. We've got it on record too. (laughs) Yana, your final thoughts um, on watchouts for the next 12 months? Look, I mean, putting my, you know, market research consultant hat on, I think really now is the time to get into that consumer mindset and understand their values and their goals, their motivations, and fundamentally what's driving them so that brands can start to use that as their foundational strategy, you know, moving forward. I think as we've seen through COVID, but we will continue to see through this inflationary period, possibly even a recession if we get there, although that's sort of up in the air still, that we need to understand people as humans and be empathetic to their needs, um, what's happening to them in their lives. And and that will, from a branded perspective, drive a deeper connection between the brand and the consumer. And that has the ability to last and get brands through these sorts of periods, through crisis periods. 
Great. Well, there's some very fine observations and, and thoughtful insights there. Um, Yana, Amy, Claire, thanks for joining. Um, good conversation. And we'll loop around and see what happens in six months' time, I think, and, and we'll see how good we all were. Thanks for joining. Stay safe. Thanks, guys. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.